Welcome to episode 422 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is Tuesday, January 31st. I'm your host, Paul Spore, and I am joined by a very special co-host today. Very recently added to the staff at Rotographs. You may remember him from a, a three-letter network elsewhere. Mr. Al Melchior, welcome to the show. Uh, it's great to be here, Paul. Uh, yeah, very psyched for my first appearance on The Sleeper and the Bust. You were highly requested. In fact, I remember getting requests to have you on when you were with CBS, let alone the fact that you are now with us. So um, with the expanded schedule that we're going to be doing in season, you guys can should hopefully get used to uh, regular episodes with, with Al and myself. If you aren't familiar with his work, you're going to become accustomed to it. He's already written, for, uh, written three articles for us, uh, one of which we're actually going to dive in on. Amazing analytical mind. This dude knows his stuff. If you if you're a huge podcast listener, you probably heard his, his CBS podcast, read his stuff. Uh, Al Melchior BB on Twitter, A L M E L C H I O R BB. Definitely got to follow him there. He does lean. He's a you're a perfect fit for rotographs. I mean, the statistical bent that you take on things. I think uh, you're also able to kind of like. I don't think you're a slave to the numbers. I think that that's kind of the balance that people have to do. Like, I love the stats as much as the next guy, but Al's out there in the trenches watching games too, and you really have to mix it. You can't just say, well, here's the numbers. I'm just going to blindly listen to those. I think, Al, I think you do a great job of, of balancing the two. Wow. Well, that's that's a huge, huge compliment. I will accept it, Paul. And, um, you know, you all at, at Fangraphs for years have been doing that that kind of, uh, you know, fusion uh, better than, than just about anybody. Appreciate so. Uh, Keep, I'll keep working at it. Well, let, let's talk some baseball. Let's let's uh, lead off with the question of the day. And, uh, you know, it's kind of the premise. Well, not kind of. It is the premise of your debut piece, which I will link in the show notes. And uh, you ask quite bluntly, has George Springer peaked? And I think that that's a very interesting question for some. His believers out there, I'm sure, were immediately taken aback. Like, no, he has not. He's only going into his age 27 season. He had a great season last year. He did have a good fantasy season last year, but I'm not going to stomp all over the points you're probably going to get to. There were some mitigating factors that maybe made it, uh, when you really look, it's not quite as good as as, as it might have seemed. What are your thoughts on George Springer uh, with regards to whether or not he has hit his peak? Yeah, well, you know, what kind of inspired me to to look into him a little bit more and write that piece was thinking back a year ago and, you know, just projecting that there was all this upside. So, okay, here's a guy who, you know, right off the bat, you know, in his rookie half season had all this power mm -hmm. and had all this power in the minors. And then he became sort of a different type of hitter. And so going into 2016, you know, my thought was, well, you know, this is the year he's going to bring it all together. He's going to have these improved contact skills, use more parts of the field, you know, and, and maybe bring back some of that power. And it didn't really happen. He was really more like the hitter he had been in, in 2015. And, uh, it was, it was a bit of a disappointment to me. So, you know, I felt like I had to kind of revisit that and say, okay, well, with that season in the books, you know, is he going to be a perennial breakout candidate for me or is it time to move on? And, uh, you know, so answering the question, has he peaked? Maybe not. I mean, I still think there's the possibility because I always think about, think back to my, my first job in fantasy writing, which was for, for Ron Chandler and baseball HQ. And, you know, one of Ron's big tenets is, uh, once you, you show a skill, you, you own that skill. So I think that, yeah, I think that Springer could, you know, maybe flash that 40 home run power, but, um, it's been a while since we've seen that that kind of power hitting pace from him, 
And uh, I, I'm not going to bank on it. So maybe he will break out. I wouldn't totally rule it out. I'm just not going to invest in it or in the, the promise of that the way that I did a year ago. So I, I expect him, now that he's kind of fallen into a, a steady pattern, I'm going to expect him to repeat that pattern in, in 2017. As opposed to add to it because uh, other yeah. factors that you look at with Springer's that he is going to be age 27. And it doesn't mean that he's old by any stretch of the imagination, but he didn't come up until age 24 as a college product. Probably came up later than he should have. I thought, you know, he was absolutely decimating the minors. I thought the Astros could have called him up sooner, but they waited until he was 24. Uh, injuries kind of hit him in those first two seasons. And so that's kind of slowed him. Uh, it's just at age 27, Jeff Zimmerman's done some work on the aging curves. We know that you're no longer necessarily entering a peak where you're going to uh, jump up from ages 26 to 30 anymore. Sometimes a lot, a lot more often now you're as good as you are immediately. And that kind of, so far we've seen that with, with Springer. He had a 237 ISO that first half season that you're talking about, then 183 and 196. The beauty is that 183 and 196 are certainly not bad. You know, he had 29 homers last year, 82 ribbies, 116 runs, but only nine stolen bases and he was nine for 19. And one factor that I keep hearing cited with Springer that says, hey, don't get too hyped on this season was that he needed a, an MLB high 744 plate appearances to only hit 29 homers and 82 ribbies. Like, I know he was leading off a lot, so I'm not going to ding him too hard on the ribbies. But the fact is it was more of a volume play than a pure skills play with Springer. And I think that that's what has some folks worried. On the plus side, he continues to walk. He's always a a, a good eye guy. 11% steady walk rate throughout his career. 12% last year. Uh, keeps trimming the strikeouts just a little bit. Only, you know, marginal went from 24.2 to 23.9 last year, but opened with a 33%. And we thought that strikeout rate was going to be very problematic and he immediately cut into it. So there are some positive factors with Springer, but I think your main point is that don't don't price in a whole bunch of growth at this point because we might have already seen the best. And I think as the sixth outfielder off the board and pick number 34, I think some folks are factoring in some growth. Do you, do you think the price is fair or is that part of your issue with Springer as well? Yeah, no, I, I think the the, the price is, is a little too high now, you know, again, given what we've seen the last couple of seasons. And um, – you know, you, you might made a lot of good points in terms of him being more of sort of a compiler last season, uh, and also all those runs that he scored. And, you know, he had a bevy of guys, uh, hitting behind him throughout the season who had very, very high batting averages with runners in scoring position, much higher than you would expect them to, to hold over the long haul. So even though the Astros lineup, I think is going to be very good this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would expect that Springer probably will, you know, hit very high again in that lineup. Um, I think he's got pretty much nowhere to go but down in terms of the run scoring. So even if he compensates by maybe hitting with a little more home run power or improving the stolen base total, which is something you, you mentioned and, you know, the lack of, um, efficiency there, which is not a good sign. Um, I mean, there's just not a lot of places where you can could say, yeah, he's going to grow in this area and he's going to maintain everything else and we can expect him to be better than he was last year. Exactly. I think, I think Springer's best bet for growth is, is what you, uh, referred back to immediately was maybe get back on that 40 homer pace, uh, because that's essentially what we saw in the debut when he hit 20 homers in 78 games. The dirty math, you just double that up and you're looking at 40. 
if he could do that. Now, the one thing, too, is that with the power surge that we saw last year, that's not even going to have as much value. If anything, I would rather give back some homers from Springer and see him get back to the running ways that we saw in the minor leagues when he stole 28, 23. I think he had a 30 stolen base season when you added up. Uh, everything. I can't remember what year that was. Yeah, I think the 2013 season. He had 35 stolen bases when you added up his double A and triple A. And if Springer got back to that aspect, I think that would actually be more useful than power. But I think the power is what's more likely to come, uh, come to fruition for Springer. So since we, we agree that six is probably too high, pick, pick 34 overall. I'm, I'm going to do some either or with you. I'm not going to go ahead, though. We're going to say Blackman and Marte, we feel comfortable that uh, they should be ahead of him. We feel like maybe some other guys should. So I'm going to ask you a few names here, either or on George Springer or the guy directly after him, A.J. Pollock, who's actually going uh, at virtually the same ADP, 34.3 to 35.2. So one pick later, do you like a a recovering A.J. Pollock or George Springer? You know, when I wrote the piece, I think I may have even included in there as, as Pollock as somebody I would have taken before him. I've rethought that, okay. um, in partly just because of the uncertainty around the recovery, and also because of the the you know the true the season before that, I do think Pollock was a little bit of a bad up overachiever. Um, he's not really, other than the fact that he's not a big fly ball guy, he's not really the prototypical high bad up guy um, who gets a ton of infield hits and uh, goes the other way a lot. Um, and, and I think he also would have to, you know, make, really make a full return to the level of power that he had in 2015. And I'm a little skeptical of that with the, the first year off of the, the injuries. So, um, you know, particularly with one, you know, the big one being the elbow the injury. Elbow, yeah, for Pollock. So, um, yeah, I think I'm going to go conservative on him too and, and, uh, take Springer over him. Oh, and Ryan Braun, and you also invoked his name in the piece. He's a guy who, you know, after having the major issue with 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 the PD thing, lying about it, having a, a 61 game season that that you know the performance was all right, but it was 61 games. Injuries have kind of been lingering since 135, 140, and 135 the last three years. But the performance is back. Like the performance has continued to stay solid in each of those three seasons. He's been a nice power speed combo still. He's going to be age 33. And I, I, like I said, I just mentioned the health, probably not getting 150 games again out of Ryan Braun. But do you prefer the power speed batting average combo that he's already shown uh, consistently with Ryan Braun? Or do you go to George Springer? I definitely. And the only reason I would maybe had hesitate and why I think other owners may hesitate pardon, is the Pardon me, Al. It cut out right when you said your pick. You would go with who? Okay. Uh, I would go with Braun okay. over Springer. And – um yeah, I think the only reason I would have any hesitation, and I'm guessing the reason why some owners might have hesitation is because of the injury risk that you mentioned. But it's not like he's missed, you know, really substantial time mm-hmm. in the last three years. Um, and when you factor in the replacement value of, you know, whoever you would get to fill in, um, I think he's going to give you a lot more, or maybe not a lot more, but I, I think enough uh, distance between him and Springer, uh, more of a complete package that you know you're going to get the batting average. The, the power is probably going to be similar, and I definitely would count on the steals much more from Braun. I agree, and and so you're going to get a value there when uh, Springer's going 34th and Braun's going 52nd on average. So uh, not only are you probably getting a, or you're getting a better player, I think, right now, uh, but you're getting a discount too. Yeah, some of that price is is the age and injury risk. I get it, 
but they're, they should probably be closer for, for what Braun does. Uh, a couple more names here. Next up, another guy who's a little bit on the, uh, further along the age spectrum, but continues to perform and has a great cushion of his home ballpark. What about Cargo, Carlos Gonzalez of the Rockies versus George Springer? Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll go Springer here. Okay. Um, yeah, just, you know, eight, like you said, age is a consideration with cargo. I do worry about, and this is, I think, the third year running that I'm saying this about cargo, but a midseason trade. Hey, and, and I feel like it's going to happen at some point, right? Especially now that they added Ian Desmond to weirdly yeah. put it first base. And, and the Rockies themselves have talked about that the, the appeal of Desmond is his athleticism and versatility. So, uh, yeah, I don't necessarily buy Desmond as the first baseman all season long. Mm-hmm. So I do worry about a cargo trade, um, and I, I think his value is really shot, you know, among among Rockies. I wouldn't worry as much about, say, Charlie Blackman changing locales, but um, between the age, the threat of a of a trade, um, uh, yeah, I, and and some inconsistency, uh, I'll, I'll go with Springer. My my biggest issue would be a mid season trade for a guy. I think that 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 adjustment I think would be particularly difficult. I think with a with an off season to prepare. Um, it, the, the transition might be easier if a Blackman or a Cargo had been traded in December and they can kind of get their mind around, okay, I'm going to have to adjust here. But if he's traded in the middle of the season and you just don't have, have Coors, it's, it's just tough to know what you would get. And so that is certainly something that is, uh, is a little bit sketchy. You're not going to gain any speed. Um, he has stayed healthy the last two years. That's one positive factor for Cargo for sure. 153 and 150 games. Good batting average, again, propped up by the ballpark. But I completely understand why you're uh, why you're looking the other way. Cargo is uh, pick 66. Again, Springer 34. So you're getting a price discrepancy there. But I think there's a reason behind it. I might move Cargo up a little bit and Springer down a little bit. But I don't think I've got Springer below Cargo. So I agree with you there. Uh, one last one, and this is an interesting one because it's more of betting on the come as opposed to what he's already done. But what about Gregory Polanco? Uh, in comparison to George Springer, he's a young guy. Now, I think there is some legitimate upside here going into his age 25 season. Had a really sharp year last year. Uh, even with some missed time, Polanco had 22 homers, 17 stolen bases, 86 ribbies, 258 average. So he's a little bit of an average, uh, you know, medium, not, not necessarily an average sinkhole, but kind of medium the way Springer is. Only 79 runs because he bats more in the middle back end of the lineup. But the power and speed combo is there. Is there any chance that you're taking Polanco over Springer? No, I don't think so. Um, the, the power last year was definitely surprised me. I'm a little bit skeptical of it. Uh, the batting average is definitely a strike against him. Not that Springer will necessarily help you that much more, but it's not like you can say, well, okay, Springer's going to give you more power than, uh, than Polanco, but, you know, Polanco is really going to compensate in terms of batting average. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll give the edge to Springer there. And actually, you know, speaking of Polanco, I, last I looked, uh, I think he was ahead of uh, Andrew McCutcheon yes. in, in ADP. And I think I'd go Kutch over Polanco. He finished uh, finished strong, and I like his chances for a bounce back here. They're about dead even, uh, 67.2 to 67.6, so they're really going close. But I'm with you. It's, it's McCutcheon ahead of Polanco for me, and maybe that would have been a better comparison between McCutcheon and Springer. Um, but I agree. I think McCutcheon is, is a, 
a great value at at pick sixty seven point six. Yeah. Um, I'm with you. You know, the last sixty games, it was like an eight fifty OPS. I'm I'm generalizing there. I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but he finished strong. Even if that's all he is for a full season, maybe not back to his nine hundreds that he was when he was an MVP candidate for for McCutcheon. But even if he's just eight fifty the whole year with the power. Uh, I'm not sure the speed's going to come back, but I think everything else would be there, including the batting average, to where I really do like McCutcheon, particularly over some of the guys that are going behind him, like Kyle Schwarber uh, and Mark Trumbo specifically. So there there we are on Springer. Not a whole lot of guys that, that you're necessarily flinging way above him. Uh, Braun was the big one, though. So if you're, if you're left with that decision between Springer and Braun, I, I think you guys got to give a second look to Braun and, and, and a further look on Springer just to make sure that you're not over, overrating him. And I will link to, uh, Al's piece. I definitely think you should read it because, uh, he does a great job diving in on, on George Springer. Well, well, thanks, Paul. I, I'll just toss a couple more names out there. Okay. Um, JD Martinez, I would definitely take. I love JD. Over Springer. Love and, JD. uh, I, yeah, I think he's, could be a tremendous value. And Nelson Cruz, despite the age, just keeps chugging. Uh, that lineup's a little better this year in Seattle, and um, you know I like him better too. How much with Nelson Cruz is it that people are so scared of being left with the hot potato um, <laughs> that that like if and, and this happens with a lot of guys once they get to a certain age. But yeah, he's, yes, he's going to be thirty six, and I get it. Things can happen at age thirty six. But we're talking three forty homer seasons in a row, and the batting average is there too. Like he didn't necessarily mm-hmm. have this batting average in Texas, and now he's gone two seventy one, three oh two, two eighty seven uh the last three years. We know Seattle first off, his power would play anywhere, but Seattle's a bit more neutral now, and we're seeing that in his numbers. He's gone ninety plus in runs and RBIs on average in each each of the uh three seasons as well, including two one hundred RBI seasons. I think I, I, I completely understand where you're coming from. I've got some Springer love that might make it tough for me to pull the trigger, just a little bit of my, my Springer pro bias, but I do think that they should be closer, and I do think that your your main point is that don't sleep on Cruz at pick 43. This guy just conti- continues to hit bombs and and doesn't really get the love that he deserves. So I, I that's a great name to bring up. He could end up being a draft day value. His low pick is 59 uh, in NFBC data. And if Nelson Cruz is going around pick 60, it, somewhere in the 50s, uh, you've got to scoop him up because it, it just feels like a guaranteed 40 homers. Even if the batting average fell, fell off, you know, even if he hit more of a 260, I still think you're going to get 40 and 90 out of him uh, like clockwork. Mm-hmm. I agree completely. All right, let's. I didn't bring up any of the uh, uh, Marlins outfielders kind of on purpose because I knew we would talk about them here. We're, we're going to move on to our team by team breakdown, and uh, you and I are going to cover the Marlins, which was your team back when you lived in Florida. And, and so I, I, I figured it'd be the best way to ease you into the podcast, getting to talk about the team that that you're very familiar with, that you used to uh, cover and go down to games and watch all the time. So we got. Four questions about them. We'll talk some favorite targets, stayaways, off the radar guys. They don't really have impact prospects, but we'll talk about the the, the few that they have. Let's start with the the main question that that usually gets uh, talked about with this team because that outfield is so alluring. Who is the best outfielder to invest in at their current price? Like we can rank who the best is. It's probably still Stanton, but between Stanton at pick forty. On average, Christian Yelich at pick 59 on average, and Marcelo Zuna at pick 172 on average. 
who is your favorite investment in the Miami Marlins outfield? Uh, I'd have to say Stanton because he's the one who I have the most confidence in to outperform that ADP right now. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think he could be top three, top four. Um, and of course, I, I think I say that pretty much every year. I mean, there's always injuries. Uh, it's that you know, game-changing oh, power that he could hit 60 yeah. and nobody would bat an eye. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, the, the pattern we've seen through the last you know few seasons is just is you know unstoppable for maybe two two months, and then just can't hit a lick for a month or two after that or before that. You know, there's this just uh, maddening inconsistency with him. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, no, the the power upside is is pretty much unparalleled, and I think he could do much better than uh, the eighth, which is where he is currently. Um, I think he's uh, he's being drafted. Probably just about the right place, maybe even just a tad high. Mm -hmm. But uh, I think he's going pretty much where where he should be, and you know he's should fill in nicely as a as a pretty high end number two outfielder in a, in a twelve team mix. It's funny if we did a poll, you know, who's most likely to hit, like I said, sixty homers this year, and we put the usual power suspects. I I feel very confident that Giancarlo Stanton would win that poll, despite the fact that he doesn't have more than thirty seven homers in a season and we just got done talking about a guy who's hit 40 the last three years. Mark Trumbo led baseball with 47 last year. And yet I think I myself would still vote for Stanton. It's like, it is it, just so alluring what he's able to do. I mean, he hit 27 each of the last two years needing only 318 and 470 plate appearances respectively. And, and so we're still dreaming on that full season, that, that 650 plate appearance season that, you know, we haven't gotten yet, but, the beauty is that even when he doesn't play, you're still getting 27 homers and you can fill in the rest of the way, particularly in like a 12 team, 10 team mix. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm way comfortable taking him even above his ADP in those leagues where the replacement value is going to be much higher. Uh, 15 team league, I feel more comfortable in the 50, uh, in the 40 pick range where he's at. But Giancarlo Stanton is still a total, total beast. Uh, between the other two, Yelich and Ozuna, who do you like best? I like Yelich. Um, I don't know that he's necessarily going to be the better value. Ozuna, I think, is still a wild card. We don't know exactly uh, how good he's going to be. But, um, you know, I, I would just rather have Yelich in that, you know, very steady, you know, high batting average, high on base, give you some steals, some power, you know, finally 20 homer power now. Um, and I think we can see that again. Does so he, I'd, I'd rather continue? take that. Uh, pardon me. Does Yelich continue to cut into that ground ball rate and 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 mine even more power, or does he kind of stay where he's at now and he's he's you know 17 to 22 homers, but still the great average, solid speed, good runs and RBI totals. Yeah, I, I think that's the path he takes, and um, I don't see a huge change in his batted ball profile because it's been it's been pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. And uh, frankly, I don't really want him. To change it because that combination, I think, uh, gives him, gives him quite a bit of, of value and should score a lot of runs as well. Absolutely. No, I, I, I love Yelich. He's a, he's a really good player. He's only going to be 25 this year. He's really, uh, you know, for, th for the first three years of his career, he was a 118 WRC plus on the nose each of the three seasons. Uh, this past season, he bumped it up to 130 thanks to that power infusion. And if he just kind of sat here, you know, if, if the team gets better around him, I think those runs go up to like 
probably a, a, up as high as 90-95. So then you're talking 90-95 runs, uh, over 100 ribbies possible. He had 98 last year. He's been batting the three-hole. I think he could pop 100. And then 20-something homers, even, even if it's high teens homers and, and double-digit stolen bases with a 300 average, that's a hell of a player. Now, there's no one standout category, but he's excellent in everything. So I, I definitely like Yelich as well. Very, very good outfielder for sure. Let's move on to our next question. Is A.J. Ramos in danger of losing the closer's role? And if so, to who? The the crusty veteran that we, we know can do the job, the, uh, Brad Ziegler, or the uh, the young upstart, Kyle Bearclaw? Uh, yeah, I, I have an easier time answering the question, is he going to lose the job? Because I think he is. And a much harder time picking the heir apparent because I think either Ziegler or Bearclaw could uh, – do do an able job and and get you know get a chance and then not lose the job not pitch poorly enough to lose the job mm-hmm. so I think it's really who, whomever the Marlins give the opportunity to uh, but just to go back to the first question again for a second I, I was sort of surprised actually when the Marlins signed Ziegler that they said they were going to use Ramos as the closer because I I sort of figured you know given that he didn't get a huge vote of confidence last year and was replaced for you know a long stretch by Fernando Rodney that uh, they might just hand the job to Ziegler. But uh, I think that Ramos has enough issues with control that um, eventually he's going to run into trouble. And uh, uh, I, I think I I don't really have a, a strong angling which one replaces him. My gut tells me Ziegler. Same. Uh, my, heart, my heart wants it to be Bearclaw. I'm, I'm perfectly with you on that. <laughs> Just because it'd be more exciting, right? Like, yeah, right. you know, if, if we can get Kyle Bearclaw with his strikeout numbers getting saves, he becomes, you know, quite the quite the fantasy asset. But Ziegler, even with the with the job, if he takes it in May, and they, they're like, yeah, we're sticking with him, yeah, he's going to get you thirty something saves, but it's just so unappealing otherwise. I mean, the ratios are solid. Oh, well, last year's WHIP was actually pretty high at one thirty seven, but he's always he's always good for a, a strong ERA, and and Ziegler can get the job done with saves. But you're just you're not dying to get that unless you just desperately need saves. But like I said, with Bearclaw, that's a guy where you're like, oh, now now I can get saves with this. This this would be awesome. He was kind of one of those standout uh, one dollar middle relievers last year. Fourteen strikeouts per nine. He had 113 in 72 and two thirds innings. Now he also has a walk issue. He walked 5.4 last year. But if he starts to chisel into that, I mean, he's a young guy really trying to figure himself out here even if he gave back a few strikeouts in favor of 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 bringing down the walks then you could see something really special with uh with bear claw but i agree with you that if ramos loses it it's going to be ziegler um you know he kind of has that that proven mentality and they can justify it by saying in this current era that we're in where uh Seventh and eighth inning guys are getting more love. They can say, you know, we want Bearclaw to be there for the for the scariest moment of the game in the seventh inning when there's two on and one out, and he's got to come in and get some devastating righty. Now I'm looking at roster resource, and the lineup that they currently have, uh, or the bullpen that they have currently lined up, doesn't have a lefty. Are they going to amend that, or is somebody like a uh, uh, Justin Nicolino or uh, Hunter Cervenka? going to be uh, Nicolino former uh, is a starter so I, I'm speculating there but is someone like Hunter Cervenka going to make the team they, they don't have a lefty do you have any idea what their plan is yeah. there uh the only thing I've read about that is that if Jeff Locke doesn't make the rotation then he's he's probably the loogie okay uh but you know which I think would be interesting a, a good move but um 
I would be surprised if Srebenka didn't spend a good amount of time on the major league roster next year. So, um, you know, I imagine they'll, they'll have a couple lefties in there and I'm personally hoping Locke will be one of them. And, and I think it, that's a, a likely scenario because they've brought enough starting pitchers in. There's, there's enough depth there that, um, you know, I think Straley makes the rotation. Now, roster resource doesn't have Adam Conley in the rotation. Correct. I haven't seen any, any reports to back that up. And, and I certainly hope that that's, not backed up by anything because to be honest, I think he's their best starter. Thank you. Okay. That first off, perfect <laughs> transition. Cause the next question is, uh, which of these, which of the starters do you like or, or do you like any of these starters that they have? And the current setup has Wei Yin Chen, Edinson Volquez, Dan Straley, Tom Kohler, Jeff Locke in the rotation. And this is just roster resources this is their best guess at things with yeah. Adam Conley, Nicolino and Odrissimer Despagne kind of on the, uh, on the back burner there. I, I love Conley. He was a guy I was pumping up last year. I feel pretty, you know, he didn't have a huge breakout, but he was a solid guy for the league mm-hmm. types that I was recommending him, which was super deep and NL only. So I'm actually with you on that where I, I can easily see a path where he's their best pitcher. So uh, you can talk more about him and, and then let me know, is there anybody else that you're interested in? Are you, do you see a Chen bounce back? Do you see anything from Straley moving from Cincy to Miami? Where are you at on this rotation at large? Go ahead. Yeah, not, uh, I'm not too big on anybody fantasy wise. I do like Conley the best. Um, just because I think there, there is uh, some upside there. If you can just cut back on the walks, uh, like, uh, well, uh, last year was really, they were really a problem for him. And if he can stay healthy, um, you know, he, he could be a strikeout guy in that rotation. Um, so, uh, he's the one that I could see taking a late round flyer on. Maybe in a, in a 12 team mix, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, everybody else is pretty much deep league. I do think Chen can bounce back, but, um, you know, the ratios aren't anything overwhelming there. He's just somebody who, you know, could give the Marlins a lot of innings and, uh, you know, maybe come up with, with a lot of wins and uh, an ERA that's, that's not going to hurt you. Exactly. Yeah. So that's the extent of, of his upside. And, you know, Straley's sort of intriguing. Um, I wish the numbers supported the idea that a move to Marlins Park is great for him because don't, he's an extreme apparently. fly ball pitcher. Yeah. But uh, if I'm remembering my splits right, I think he gave up more home runs away from Cincinnati last year, and he's an extreme enough fly ball pitcher. There may not be any park that really can contain he him. He did. He gave up but, 18 on the road and, and 13 yeah. at home and in, in, uh, actually had seven more innings at home. And here's another thing. This is what I've been saying about Straley is that he could have the same ERA, 376, but maybe earn it a little bit more in Miami. Because if you look, his his FIP, his fielding independent pitching, says that he was a 488 guy. And it's because of that home run rate. And so basically what that means is that he didn't really pay the toll on what that on, on what an NL high 31 homers usually yields. And so mm-hmm. I think maybe he cuts into the homer rate a little bit with Miami but I don't think it's going to result in a major drop in ERA because he was pretty fortunate last year anyway. So I'm not betting on some big growth from from Dan Straley. I think at best he's, he just repeats and, and, and you just earn it a little bit more from the uh, from the indicators. Yeah, now it sounds like you've got his, his uh, page I there. Um, didn't he have a, a very high strand rate, like 80% or something? Yeah, um, actually, hang on. Let me move back to that page because I was in his splits. He had Dan Straley had a an eighty one percent strand rate, and that is wow. <laughs> huge. And so he's getting out of jams, probably a lot of solo shots then with those homers. And it's just that's fluky. I bet he was top five here. Let me see. 
He was. Oh, I'm sure. He was sixth. Tied for, tied for fifth, uh, with, with Kevin Gausman. They both had 81.2 on the dot. Interestingly enough, he was tied with that NL, uh, leading home run rate or, or home run total with 31. And, uh, of course, lead. That's, du- it's a dubious title to have. But he was tied with Max Scherzer, who had an 81.7 left on base rate. Now, we believe that Scherzer can have a better left on base rate than Dan Straley, yeah. but he too, didn't pay the toll on what his home run rate uh, was suggesting last year. Scherzer didn't either. Obviously, it's at a completely different level uh, that we would have a backslide for Scherzer. But I think that Straley, if he continues to give homers up at that clip in Miami, then not only is he not going to improve, he's going to get worse. And I think the whip would go yeah. up, and I think that the ERA would be somewhere in the mid-force. So I'm I'm being cautious on him. For me, it's the two lefties. It's Conley and Chen uh, are the two yep. that I'm even considering investing in. Kohler is your your run of the mill, just whatever back end guy. You know, you can get a good start out of him every once in a while if you time it right. What for him, Tom Kohler is a guy like if you see a perfect matchup coming into Miami on like a day game after a twelve inning night game or something, and it's a DFS play where you want to play like. Uh, at DraftKings, you want to play the stud. You want to play Scherzer, and then you need some money for your hitting. Then you put Tom Kohler in. That's a pretty specific usage, but I think that that's like the best usage that you can find for somebody like a Kohler. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I've done that with Kohler, that particular yeah, strategy. because he, he's good at home, and it's yeah. a good park. And so if Atlanta was yep. coming in, particularly in the first half when they weren't hitting anything yep. – Eh, you can use him for four thousand, and then you can afford a twelve thousand dollars Scherzer. So that's about the yeah. only way I can see with him. So we're not super high on this uh, on this rotation, but keep an eye on the lefties, Chen, uh, if he's healthy, and then Conley if he gets in the rotation, which which he should, I think. All right, let's move on to uh, D. Gordon. Obviously, he had the issue last year where he was suspended for PEDs. Uh, issue you know the, the problem it was a, it was a problem of his own of his own doing however you want to label it it, it didn't go well and it, it tanked his season or or i'm not saying that the peds did but whatever it was he only played in 79 games and they were not d gordon-esque at least not what we, what we had seen the previous two seasons he only hit 268 his uh, obp was down to 305 his power which is never particularly good at all was uh even worse though down to 335 slug he still stole 30 bases because that's the thing if this guy gets on base he's gonna steal but uh, everything else was pretty poor is there a chance that we get back to the previous two seasons when he hit 311 with an average of 61 stolen bases or is uh is there something to the idea that well when he's not taking peds he's not as good i i don't know if we want to make that cause and effect but I guess yeah. the general question, where are you on D Gordon? I'm really bearish on Gordon. Um, yeah, his performance last season really kind of freaked me out because, um, you know, I, I liked him a lot, obviously going into last season. A lot of people did mm-hmm. with the stolen bases, but also the ability to, uh, you know, hit for a high average using his speed to get infield hits. Um, but I, I discovered something kind of interesting in looking uh, at second baseman as a whole a few weeks back. I'm actually going to be writing on this later this week. Uh, unfortunately, not for fan graphs, but but for fan rag, because um, we're doing a second base preview this week. And um, it was actually his hitting on fly balls in the second half, or not the second half, but over over uh, the 2016 season, where Gordon really met his demise. Because um, the previous two seasons, he had a 200 plus ISO and a 120 plus BABIP. 
on fly balls. Wow. And that's probably the last place you would look <laughs> at Gordon to see, you know, where there's value or, or where there's fluctuation. Exactly. Last year, a 103 ISO on flies, an 034 BABIP. And, um, now that I've plugged my, my column on, uh, fan rag, I'll, I'll plug fan graphs, but using the uh, beautiful splits leaderboard oh, staff. How great, how great is the split leaderboard? <laughs> Such a, thank you, Sean Dolanaire. You are a yeah. genius. And, um, on flies, uh, last year, Gordon had a 23.7, uh, soft contact rate. So, yeah, wow. I mean, so that's a lot of lazy fly balls. It's a lot of lazy fly balls, and maybe he goes more to the ground next year. Maybe he, you know, maybe it's not an issue of not taking PEDs, but just the time off. I'm not really sure. I don't really buy that latter explanation because he didn't really get better as the season went on. Exactly. So that yeah, the time off thing, you would say, okay, fine, give him a break for even like the first month when he returns, right. but then he would close strong and he didn't. And the, you know, the one thing that makes me doubt this analysis a little bit is that when you look at players who have served suspensions for PEDs, uh, I think the the majority of them actually do quite well when they come back. So yeah, we talked about earlier Cruz. Yeah. Uh, Johnny Peralta has some, has had some of his best seasons since getting popped. Got right. that big contract with St. Louis. Um, those are the two off the top of my head, but you're right. A lot of times they come back and they're just fine. Melky Cabrera had that spine issue that the year right. he first came back and everyone said, well, now you're nothing without your PEDs, but then he's been right back to basically the guy that we, we've seen before, uh, the last two years. And, and really the thing that kind of spurred Melky and in, in, in his PED year was a, was an exorbitant BABIP that we would have progre- uh, projected to regress anyway. So I don't think that he was some product of PEDs and now he's fallen off. And I don't know that D Gordon was either. I don't know exactly yeah. what benefit he might've gotten from it, but he was, he was the, he was the pre 2014 guy when he got back last year or a little bit better than that, but he was uninspiring for sure. And he was very empty speed. You know, it's one thing when you're not going to have power, but like you said, he had batting average and that translates into runs. And, uh, you know, every year it seems like we're projecting the Marlins to be a little bit better, even though they <laughs> always disappoint us. But we're like, well, you know, if Stanton gets going, then, uh, Yelich gets going, then he's going to score a hundred runs. And, you know, you could, you could paint a case where he steals 60 bases, hits 310 and scores 110 runs. And that's a damn good player, even if he only hits two home runs. But, now we're looking, okay, is he going to hit, what, 270 and steal 50? Sure, but, you know, what What are the runs going to be like if the OBP isn't good? I, I just I don't know what to make of D. Gordon. And then the other mitigating factor is that second base is really deep. So I feel comfortable bypassing D Gordon as the seventh uh second baseman off the board and waiting. Now I might not I'm not gonna get that same speed. Um you know you maybe take Jose Peraza uh hundred picks later and and you could maybe get a D Gordon season. But I'm not even saying just replacing the speed. I'm talking about the position itself. I just don't feel like I need to reach for a D Gordon to secure second base when I feel very comfortable with guys going in the in the two hundreds even. Like I, I I still love Jonathan Scope. Uh, a healthy Devon Travis looks like it could be really good at pick 210. So I just, I'm not, I'm not really in on D Gordon this year. In fact, I did a, put a list of players. I'm 10 players. I'm not likely not drafting and he made the list. Yeah. And I'm, I'm there. Um, cause I doubt he's going to slide as far as I would need him to, to draft him. He's, uh, not in my top 10. So, so we, we see eye to eye there and, uh, it, 
good luck if you take him, folks, because uh, heaven forbid anything happen to his lower half either. Because then, if you're not getting yep. the speed, you're in big, big trouble. All right, now let's wrap up with a few uh, with a few picks here. Who's your favorite target on this team based on their current price? Hmm. Uh I would. And you, you can say high end. It could still be Stanton. It doesn't have to be some value play. It's just who are you most interested in, in rostering? Yeah, now I would say, I would still say it's Stanton because you know we went over the entire outfield and that's really where it's interested, particularly Stanton and Yelich. And one player we haven't talked about, um, but who I don't see uh, that I'll be drafting much is JT Romuto. Um, and sort of by default, I feel he's, um, you know, very highly ranked. Yes. Uh, and, and, you know, I mean, not, I mean, I think he's going to be a really, you know, solid number one catcher, but, um, I think so much of his value comes from his speed, both in terms of not only a lot of stolen bases for a catcher, but also a lot of infield hits for a catcher. Correct. And that's not something that typically holds up well, you know, uh, once you get even into your mid twenties as a catcher. Especially catching, cause you can get those nicks, uh, yeah. just the, the day to day grind that, that doesn't necessarily show up on a, on, on a rotowire report, uh, that he's hurt and we don't really know about it. And then, well, why is he, why is he not running now? And why is he not beating out these hits? And all of a sudden he's hitting 270 and it really curbs his value, uh, on Real Muto. So I like the player and I love seeing a catcher go double double, you know, 10 plus homers and stolen bases. But I'm with you. I think that he's a little bit overpriced in the market, even at pick 112. Um, maybe I won't get the same speed, but I'd rather wait on guys, uh, Yasmani Grandal, um, Russell Martin, Brian McCann, take the pure power of even Wellington Castillo. Steven Vogt, I think, will be fine at pick 208. I just, I don't want to pay the premium for Real Muto. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. So, so it really does come down for me to, uh, to Stanton and Yalas, just my, my main targets, which feels very boring. Well, I mean, maybe it is, but that's, that's the way it is right now. I love Marcelo Zuna. I've been a big Marcelo Zuna guy. Pick 172. He probably is my favorite target, but I love the other two as well. I love the outfield, uh, on this team. And so I completely agree with you on that. So I think Real Muto's our stay away. Yes. Because we just kind of highlighted that, uh, you know, we're not, the, the pitchers don't cost anything. So even though we're, we're staying away, that doesn't matter. Everyone's staying away. So we're staying away from Real Muto because not only is he a quality player, but he does cost uh, a decent bit. So we can move on to off the radar. Now, do you have a player on the team that, uh, not angling for, from, you know, not necessarily a starter or very cheap price that, that you're definitely in on, uh, for deeper leagues? Do you have an off the radar pick for the Marlins? I think the only one, uh, that really registers with me and this could change, you know, within a week is Justin Bohr. And I say change within a week because, uh, I know the Mar- Marlins at one point were rumored to be in on Chris Carter. Um, I can't see Carter just being a platoon option for them if yes. they do uh, continue to, to pursue him. I so, was waiting for us to get to Bohr, so I'm glad you brought him up. Yeah. But, uh, I think he's one of the, the few players that really does have some, some upside. Uh, he could build on the power that he has and, and hit for, for a decent average. And, you know, not, nothing, uh, mind blowing, but, you know, for a deep league, uh, could be kind of a crafty pick. And while he is slotted in as a starter, he is only going at pick 310. So I definitely think he qualifies as the off the radar here. I love Bohr. This was a guy I was big on last year and I feel like he panned out to what I was expecting from a rate standpoint. The only thing that slowed him down was the injury that limited him to 90 games. I think if he gets his full allotment, he probably hits upper twenties home runs 
and you know might have been in the 90s with his with his ribbies he's never going to be a big batting average guy but i'll take the 262 264 that he's had each of the last two seasons that doesn't kill you it doesn't you know that doesn't have you doing backflips but it certainly doesn't hurt hurt you too badly and if he really does explode with the power i think Bohr could move up the lineup a little bit he's currently penciled in at six but I think if if he breaks out and Ozuna doesn't the way I expect, then then they could flip and you know just that one batting spot can certainly help. Or maybe they finagle things where that's D Gordon batting one, Yelich two, Stanton three, and then Bohr could be the fourth hitter. So they they could maneuver things quite a bit. We're just going off of roster resources guess right now where they have Gordon and Prado up at the top. So I think that uh, Bohr has spots to move and uh, and value to to mine there. So I, I'm actually going to go with that one with you. I think that's a great pick for both of us uh to, to go ahead and uh, i'll like i said latch on and go with him now let's talk uh, now this is the comedy section of, <laughs> of the podcast and I'm, I'm sorry marlins fans but it's true and i'm a tigers fan so i feel like i can i can shade other teams uh uh prospect systems and it's coming from a place of of love because i'm, I'm or, or at least commis- i can commiserate because my tigers don't have a great farm system either but uh impact prospects might be a bit laughable this year because they just don't have a lot of guys on the cusp i'll give you their top five right now for mlb.com they've got braxton garrett who i believe was their top pick last year tyler colic colic uh the number two pick from a couple years ago yarlan garcia uh, a lefty who I think made his debut last year. If I maybe not, um, I feel like he did. Uh, Brian Anderson. Debut, I, I, yeah. did, did he? No, I might be confusing I him so. with Jose Urena. Pardon me on that. Yeah, he has not debuted yet. Uh, so you've got Yarlin Garcia, Brian Anderson, and then Austin Dean. Brian Anderson's a third base prospect that they drafted in the third round of 14, and Austin Dean is a fourth round outfield prospect that they drafted in the uh, 2012 draft. So. Any of those guys you see making any sort of fantasy impact this year. So I'll even give you uh, NL only because I, I, I don't see any of them really being mixed league assets. But any of these guys that you're that you're saying, hey, take a sneaky pick on this guy or or, or maybe someone I didn't name. Where are you on the uh, Marlins prospects? Yeah, I can't think of anybody you didn't name. It's, it's a very short list to be sure. Um, and as far as, you know, this year, ah, uh, gosh, I – I don't think there's anybody. I kind of like Brian Anderson, but I don't see him making an impact uh, on on this year's squad. Um, you know, the two top pitching prox- prospects, Braxton Garrett and Tyler Kolick, are quite you know quite a ways away. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, yeah, you know, Garcia is actually probably the one who's got a shot to do something this year. Um, Especially with some uncertainty in the rotation. It's not like, right. you know, we, we would be surprised if Kohler, Locke, and Vol- Volquez were, were ousted, or even Straley. I don't think Straley's some lockdown guarantee he's going to start 35 starts no matter what. So there's some, there's some, uh, wiggle room in that rotation. And, and Yarlan Garcia, if he went down and, and had a nice AAA, then, then he could be knocking on the door as well. Yeah. So he's, he's probably got the best shot. And yeah, he's, if he came up, he's somebody I would, uh, or if there are even rumors of him coming up, I'd, I'd pick him up in NL only. But that, okay. I think that's, that's about the extent of it. Now, I did mention a name uh, that I was confusing him with when I thought he debuted last year, um, Jose Urena. Do you, I look at Jose Urena, and I do like a statistical analysis, and I kind of look at the, the, the raw stuff and some of the data behind uh, some of the pitch performance. 
And I, I'm kind of intrigued, but then you look at the results and they've been god awful. He has a 576 ERA and a 150 whip in 145 major league innings. Do you see anything there or, or is this just a guy who's maybe just destined for a middle relief spot anyway? I mean, I tend to think probably somebody who's gonna, as you say, wind up in the bullpen, but he okay. is, he is intriguing. Um, and he, he had a, at least a couple of starts last year. He was really good. So didn't he have a complete game? I think he did. I think he did. Uh, I know he had okay. one really good performance. I think it was a complete game. Eight and two thirds against the Dodgers. Eight and two thirds okay. shutout. So maybe he let some runners on there. He allowed four hits. Maybe a couple of them were in that ninth inning and they said, no, 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 we gotta, we gotta let the, uh, the closer get this done. But yeah, I mean, that's one game and then he followed it up allowing, uh, <laughs> 17 earned runs in 10 innings in his last three starts of the season. So, you know, he, he quickly erased the, the, the goodness of that. But I, I, I don't know. I just feel like there's a little something here. I don't know if there's going to be any sort of breakout. He is 25 this year, so he's not old. He throws 95. Uh, he's got three secondaries, although the, the curve's really a show me. So it's slider and change, but the change is pretty good. I, I don't know. I, maybe he's my off the radar pick. I, I like Bohr, so we'll, we'll, we're keeping that one for you, of course. But I'm going to actually throw him in as my off the radar pick for super deep leagues. The one league type. Uh, I know we're getting specific here with uh, uh, uses for these guys, but I love these NFBC 50 round draft and holds where you just pick your 50 guys this year and that's who you've got. You could probably get him in round 50. I don't think anyone's taken Jose Urena yeah. from you. Uh, but, you know, you take a flyer on that. It's something that could pop. Maybe he does have to go to the bullpen. But he could be maybe one of these guys uh, who gets 85, 90 innings out of the bullpen with a good strikeout rate because maybe he can't quite cut it starting. But he can get through the rota- uh, through the lineup one time through. So, I don't know. I like Jose Urena. There's some talent, arm talent there at age 25. He does have to make some improvements. Though. And and he's out of options, too. So, um um, I know that the Marlins like him enough that they they say they want to keep him around, and I could see him kind of ping ponging in a, a swingman role. And you know, as we just talked about a minute ago, there there is some opportunity there. There's um, you know real uh, roadblocks for you know him or you know somebody like uh, Harlan Garcia to uh, to get in the rotation. You and, mentioned swingman, and they're going to kill us if we don't talk about this guy. Oh well, uh, I, I know there's some yeah, I know there's some love for David Phelps in the fantasy community, and then they were bummed to hear that he's going to be in in the bullpen at least to start the season. Uh, what did you think of of Phelps' season last year, and do you think he should be starting? Well, yeah, um, I uh, was very encouraged by what he did last year, and uh, as a fantasy owner, yeah, I, I wanted to see him in the rotation. Was disappointed, but I don't think he'll be in the rotation. I think this is the smart move because the, the Marlins are shifting their focus from rotation to, to, uh, the bullpen, you know, knowing that they weren't going to be able, uh, to replace, uh, Jose Fernandez, uh, of course, mm-hmm. in all sorts of ways. Yes. Um, but, um, you know, I think strategically that this emphasis makes sense for them and, you know, they really need him in the bullpen, I think, uh, to fulfill a variety of roles. He's somebody who potentially could close, but because he can go, um, you know, several innings, that I imagine he'll probably settle into uh, a long relief or a middle relief role and, and have a lot of value there uh, in that. I really hope they use him for innings. Like if they're gonna yeah. if they're gonna put him at reliever, don't just be one inning. Uh, somebody has to break and not even break the mold, recapture the mold because this is the way relievers used to be back in the day. They would go two innings uh, regularly, and so they would end up 
with a hundred something innings in relief. And I, I think David Phelps is a guy who could definitely do that. Maybe third time through is the problem, but you can get to maybe three innings, particularly with some of these. Again, we keep railing on these starters because they're just not that great. And so if you're saying go five, then you get two from Phelps, the sixth and seventh, and then the eighth and ninth can be uh, Ziegler and Ramos or, or Bearclaw and Ramos, kind of depending on who's available and uh, Cervenka fit, fits in as a loogie. So there is some value with Phelps as well, and I, I, I'd forgotten about him, but like I said, I, I know the first comment would be, you didn't say anything about <laughs> David Phelps. Um, and I think that where you're going to be able to get the value from him is sort of, um, and correct me if I'm wrong, because there's usually one or two guys every year who – pitch a lot of innings out of the bullpen and they put up great ratios and they have some roto value, but I'm thinking, um, and shooting now I'm blanking out the name, the nationals, uh, Blake training. Um, yes. if I think it was last year where he, he pitched quite a few innings and put up some good ratios, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I think you could value in that very low key sort of way. Well, and, and the strikeout rate, I mean, it jumped up so much last year. He had a 32% strikeout rate, David Phelps did, uh, with a 228 ERA and a 114 whip for 86 and two-thirds innings. And only five of those, uh, it was only five starts, so it's not like he got a whole bunch of the innings via starts. So they were using him in the bullpen nicely. I just hope that they continue with that. And, yeah, maybe he only gets 65 appearances but 90 innings because you are using him multiples and maybe a couple swingman starts. So uh, Phelps is a very intriguing name. Uh, I think, you know, I know, like I said, I know folks are bummed that, that he's not going to be a full-time starter, but things happen. Again, we're decimating this rotation uh, because of its shakiness, and it would not be surprising if Phelps wound up there maybe in the second half. Maybe they do a Chris Medlin thing. Remember that year that Chris Medlin had where he was amazing? Now, it was because of injury that they were kind of easing him back in, but maybe that's what Phelps does for the first half. He relieves, and then maybe the Marlins do find themselves competing uh, more than they thought, and instead of making a move via trade because they don't really have anything to trade, they put Phelps in the rotation, and that's their big move, and all of a sudden he gets 14 starts down the stretch, and he beasts out that way. So so definitely an intriguing name. Keep David Phelps on your radar, maybe even in 12-team leagues uh, if you have a, a deep reserve where you can keep a middle reliever or two. Yeah, well, that would be a, a great scenario uh, from, a, from a fantasy perspective. And, uh, yeah, maybe if one of their young guys like a Nitwick Grin, um, you know, uh, steps forward to do that. Any uh, any final thoughts here on, on the Marlins? Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, from a fancy perspective, uh, I think they're actually more interesting as a, as a real team because I just don't, you know, because the, they're, they're putting so much emphasis on the bullpen. You, you don't have, you know, starters that are really that interesting in fantasy. The, the lineup has some interesting players, but it's sort of lopsided because, you know, you've got a Denny Echevria. Uh, is there anything with him? Sorry to c- cut you off again. No, is, no, no. Is there, because, I thought that he had a chance at Danny Hetcheveria to be Brandon Crawford-esque in that, and not, not, not a direct correlation where Crawford had the power and then he kind of busted out, but where his defense was going to keep him on the field so much that he was almost kind of learning how to hit on the job. And we were seeing his OPS plus move up. It was 56, then 86, then 92, but then it dropped back to 63 last year and he just really fell apart. Uh, he's going to be age 28 this year. Uh, 2,335 major league plate appearances. Is there anything more than what we've seen or is that, is that 92 OPS plus from 2015 the peak 
of a Danny Echeverria. I would guess that's the peak because I go looking for some sort of hint that uh, he's going to build on that. I haven't, I've yet to find it. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think the Crawford comparison is an interesting one. I think Crawford, but Crawford, you know, kind of moved up the curve, you know, at, at an earlier yeah, age. He, he was advancing. And, and, and you could see the, the, the tangible improvements, whereas, like I said, with Hedgeveria, there, there was some growth in the OPS plus, but it, it wasn't really translating much, particularly fantasy wise, into anything else. I just thought, you know, he's such a good defender. The, the playing time is guaranteed. Could there be something with the bat? But there's just nothing in the profile that says, ooh, you should, you should really jump on this. I just, I, I like him as a player because uh, I love slick fielders, but, uh, I just don't know that there's any more than, than an NL8 hitter. That, that he's been in the last few years. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. And I mean, it was probably a little bit of uh, a strong statement for me to say that the, the lineup is lopsided because it, you know, we, we both like, our, uh, you know, we both see the promise of, of Ozuna, you know, Rio Muto. So it, it's, it's fairly deep, but from a fantasy perspective, you know, Bohr, you know, is sort of lower end. Martin Prado, I love as a player, but don't really have interest in him for, for fantasy. Better real life than fantasy. Better real life sure. than fantasy, right? So, and, you know, we talked about the pitching staff and, and not too much uh, fantasy intrigue there. So, uh, you know, should be a fun team to watch, but not necessarily uh, while they're on your fantasy roster. I think you're right. Uh, a, a couple key asp- assets uh, in the outfield for fantasy, but then it, it, it starts to get deep leaguey right away. Yeah. All right, Al, that's going to wrap us up. Uh, thank, welcome uh, for your debut. How did it go? Did you enjoy it? Oh, uh, yeah. No, the, we can keep going if you want. I know you probably... Got to wrap it up, but uh, we're we going to wrap it up here. But you will be back. Uh, you and I will coordinate uh, on time. And, and you know what? I think I'm going to try to have you back next week. And we're going to start cycling in here. Uh, hopefully, we get we get an episode soon where we have some transactions to break down. But I liked talking about your piece uh, as well as doing a team breakdown. I know you've got a bullpen piece coming up for us, right? You yeah, breaking down me. one of the bullpens. So, uh, which, which one is that? Which which division are you doing? Oh, uh, boy, uh, I. <laughs> I forget. I think it's the NL Central, but uh, I think so too. Okay, I think so too. So maybe we'll talk about that and and do another team breakdown. But like I said, you and I can coordinate. Um, and again, Al Melchior BB on Twitter, A L M E L C H I O R BB. You're right, writing for us at Rotographs as well as FanRag. What are you doing over there for them? Uh, well, right now we're uh, all there. Are three of us. Uh, Fantasy writers, uh, doing position by position preview. So we're on second base right now, but we'll be doing uh, draft prep throughout uh, the draft prep season. Fantastic. And, uh, then, you know, columns, uh, throughout the regular season as well. And then, uh, I'll also be doing some uh, work for actually have done some work and we'll continue to do some work for uh, MLB.com as well. Sounds great. Al, great uh, having you on the team, and I look forward to uh, talking more with you on podcast. All right. Well, my pleasure, Paul. It's been, it's been fun. Looking forward to doing it again. 